this morning we're reading from Mark 9 and 10. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus saw it, and he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. May God bless the reading of his word. See, I, I can't get a better introduction than that. Uh, for children who are short like my son and all of his friends, you can proceed out with Mr. Lamar and Ryan. Uh, Lamar and Ryan, thank you very much for loving them and making them nearly quiet uh, this morning. Uh, excited that everybody is here with us here at Neartown, uh, the day that we are lovingly calling Testosterone Sunday. Um, all the ladies are at the retreat, and so all of the dads had the kids this weekend. I, I only have one semi-sick child, so I think we're all right. We're all right. Um, but glad everybody else is here. Um, I want to take a small moment to say we have new t-shirts in the back. They look a little like this. So if you are interested in having one of these for yourself... It's a $10 donation, so you can just slip the $10 donation in the blue box in the back, grab the size that you want. There is this one. There is a gray one with a slightly different design, so if you're interested, they're so soft. They feel fantastic. So grab one on your way out. You too can have new Neartown Church gear. Uh, but I wanted at the very start uh, of our time, uh, we believe in being able to retreat, to take a break, to... Uh, to separate ourselves a little bit from the busyness of life. And so every year we have two retreats. The men already had theirs. The women's was this past weekend. That's why they're not here. We put our money where our mouth was. And we said, first of all, stay there on Sunday too. Enjoy just resting. Enjoy being in the presence of God for another day and enjoying each other's company. And also, we made sure that all of the excellent husbands and dads are back in Kid City. So that's why I'm joking, and it's Testosterone Sunday, because all the dudes are in the back with the kiddos. We have the dude-filled stage, so uh, it's not normally like this. So uh, glad you all are here. At the start, though, I want to pray for the ladies who went to the retreat this weekend and who are still there. So if you would bow with me as we start. Jesus, we know that you are here with us. We know that you are there with them at Danbury, and I thank you so much that they were able to take time and focus on you, Lord. Whatever wisdom that you spoke to those ladies, whatever reassurances you put in their heart about who you are and who they are to you, Lord, let them reign. Let them go deep. Let them come home refreshed and ready for the week and whatever this world is going to be throwing at them. Lord, as we sit here, Looking at your words, I ask that you open our hearts. 
I ask that the words that are spoken today from your word also reign, that they go deep in us and that we see you anew and trust you fully. In your name we pray, amen. So uh, as you might be able to tell, uh, I am not, nor have I ever been, the strongest of fellows. So back in my soccer days, I was not the strongest, I was not the smartest on the pitch, and I was not the fastest. But I was kind of better than the average bear on most of them. And the reason I say that is because it helped me delude myself into thinking, if I only tried harder, I can be the fastest and the smartest and the best. And that never paid off, but it didn't stop me from trying. And I tried so hard. Uh, final year of college, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm done playing soccer. I'll just be the team manager. And oddly enough, I got more money from the school being the team manager my last year. And I thought, what was I doing? So glad that I've had the experiences with it that I've had. But even in that little bit, it helped me realize I just kept chasing something I didn't have. I wanted more power. I wanted more strength. Have you ever felt yourself in that situation? I'm not talking athletically, but where you, you saw that there was power to be had and that you were on the hunt for more of it. And you were willing to do what you needed to, to access that power. Y'all have joined us in the middle of the series we are calling Secret Jesus. We all know some things about Jesus, but what does Jesus himself want us to to know about him. What does Jesus know about power? What did he think about power? And what was his expectation about us getting power? What did he think about us going for that and increasing it? Does he even care what we do in regards to that? Today we're going to spend most of our time in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 33 through 37, and then jump over to chapter 10, 13 through 16. If you came and you don't have a Bible with you, but you do want to follow along, just slip your hand up. Sarah is going to hook you up. She'll get you a Bible. You can follow along. Otherwise, Bruce has got you above me on the screen. Uh, now, when you leave today, here is my hope. My hope is that we all see that power is given not taken. That position, the position to have is as a beloved child and not as deserving followers. And that our purpose is as humble servants, not as expectant overlords. Again, I know that's above me. Our hope, my hope is that we see power as given, not taken. Our position as beloved children and not deserving followers. And that our purpose, what we are to do, is to fill that role of a humble servant and not the expectant overlord. So where our passage falls is right in the middle of a uh, three prophetic moments that Jesus has in Mark, where he has told his disciples, the Jewish leadership is going to kill me when we get to Jerusalem, and then I am going to rise three days later. So... Uh, to understand what the disciples were talking about, jump back with me just a few verses to chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know 
for he was teaching his disciples. Now, I want to stop and just say, they're passing through Galilee as our text. Hey, that's a good reminder. Turn off your phone, Andrew, or everybody else for that matter, but you know. Um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So he's in Galilee. They're on their way to Capernaum. And then from Capernaum, they're going to go to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be taken and killed. He is in his descent, if you will, to Jerusalem. So with these last days, with these last moments, Jesus wants to pull his disciples aside and say, guys, I have some really, really important things about what the kingdom looks like when I leave. What is the ethic of power, of position, and purpose in my kingdom? And so he's going to go over that with them. So he wants to get them away from the crowds and have some focused time with them. And at the start of his focused time, he says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. But when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, for they were afraid to ask him. Now imagine yourself in this place, in their place. These disciples have spent nearly three years with Jesus. They've served him. They've served alongside him. They've been sent out and done wonders. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. See, it didn't fit what they expected of the Messiah. Pain, suffering, sacrifice, this is not fitting with my savior of all like person that I expected him to be. It didn't fit in the box. But you know what they did understand or think they understood? Power. Power. Now, why do I say that? See, the Messiah was going to Jerusalem as they understood it to set up his kingdom. If he is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to set up my kingdom, and he's also telling them, I'm going to die, well, they're looking at each other going, well, I think, I think I'm the MVP of the disciples. I mean, I've done the most miracles with Jesus. I've earned my spot See, they they thought like everybody else. They thought that power was something that you earned. Your position came to you based on what you've accomplished and how worthy you've shown yourself. Your purpose in life was to achieve the highest position that came with the most power. And so Jesus is coming in. He is going to die. And they're looking at each other saying, okay, well, when he goes, who's in charge? Who is now going to be over this kingdom? Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? What does Jesus say when they get to Capernaum? Hey, guys, what were you talking about back there? Have you ever had that question delivered to you that you know the answer, but in telling the answer you're going to embarrass or tattle on yourself. And so when Jesus asked the question, these guys who, the disciples were not known as the strong, silent type. 
all of a sudden, nobody's got anything to say. They're all quiet. Jesus knows what they were thinking. Jesus knows what they were discussing. And so he calls them all together, and he says, come here, guys. Now, quick side note. When you see in verse 35, and it says, he sat down and he called the 12. In this day and age, even at the start of Jesus' ministry uh, that you see in the book of Luke, when a teacher was teaching, it was actually a little different. It's almost the opposite of what it is right now. Okay, so I'm preaching out of God's word. I'm coming up front and I'm standing. In those days, when the teacher came up and the teacher had something to say and he was going to bring a new teaching, he would sit down. So when the teacher sat down, that's when everybody else knew, oh, what's coming is significantly important. I need to pay attention because this is the new teaching and I've got to be all ears. So it isn't just that. This is not a transition statement as in he happened to move from left to right and then he began teaching. No, when he sat down, here comes the heat. I need to pay attention to what he said. So he gathers them together. He sits down and he says to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He must be last of all and servant of all. If you want to be on top, you need to go to the bottom. If you want to rule, you need to serve. This this is countercultural. This is counterintuitive. And he illustrates his new command with the most obvious example of a non-power. Children. Children. He says, receive them in my name. So how does serving a child reflect this new ethic of power in his kingdom? Because kids have no power. Kids don't have power. They are on the low end of the societal ladder, both then and still today. They can't do anything to merit or earn your attention or service of them. And even if you do, they can't pay you back. They have no power to earn it. It's a one-way street on Power Alley. We, those with power, give it away. The new ethic in the kingdom of God is to go low, to give away your power to the children, to the, the powerless people, and receive them just as you would Jesus. When you see a child, you do not just say, that's a pipsqueak. As Jesus says, receive them in my name, and when you receive them, you are receiving me, and you will receive me, you are receiving my father. It is an honor to God to come down to the level of a child and to receive them. Because that's giving away power. The child has not earned it. Now, I do want to, to take a side step in this, and this just struck me as I was planning this, because sometimes when we talk about Okay, I want to serve others. I want to, uh, to put everybody else first. We do so. When, when Jesus says, if you want to be first, you must be last. 
And so in our very Americanized step one, step two, I must do this. Okay, I definitely want to be in charge and I definitely want to rule. And if I want to do those things, then I need to start serving. So I'm going to come down from my very high seat. Everybody watch me. Here I come. I am awesome. And now I'm going to come down to your level and serve you. Let me just say that I have sadly deluded myself into thinking that I was the one who was high and mighty, and I was coming down on the level of others to serve them. And while I was busy giving myself a gold star and a pat on the back, what I was missing was the fact of how low I actually was and that I didn't realize that I couldn't even sniff the dignity of the people that I was serving, that I was missing it. And so as we study this passage, I don't want us to walk away from here and go, well, I need to go serve, because that's what I do. I serve. We need to come down on the level as equally low status people serving one another on common ground, because that's what he's called us to. That's where we are. Now, let's jump ahead, turn your page, if you will, or click the right button, Bruce. Uh, We're going to go to chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Now, we just read um, chapter 9, verse 30, starts Jesus' uh, special time with his disciples. He teaches them a whole bunch of really special things about what is to be done in the kingdom through verse 50. In chapter 9, it then goes over to chapter 10. They leave the house. They are now walking further still to Jerusalem, and this is where this happens. So I don't know the amount of time that has passed between Jesus calling them to serve everybody and to uh, receive children in his name and this next section with children. I can assume it's a very, very brief amount of time. They were en route to Jerusalem. They are still en route from Jerusalem the disciples should have remembered it. That's what we can at least be sure of. So he just told them this. They absolutely should have remembered it. And how did they respond to this new kingdom ethic of giving away power? Verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Don't do that. Keep the children away. Well done, disciples. A plus performance. You have one job. Had one job. He just told you this. And they don't get it. Now, Jesus doesn't use this moment, as he has many other times, to gently pull them aside and say, Hey, gang, remember, we just talked about that. Remember about the kids? No, he did not go the calm, casual, and cool route. The word that scripture uses is indignant. Jesus was indignant. So, so that we don't miss this, definition for indignant. Feeling or showing anger based upon a perceived injustice. Something being unfair or deemed unworthy, offensive or insulting. Jesus literally just told them that they are to receive children in his name and they promptly ignore his words. So with that feeling, with that attitude, Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, hey, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. I imagine this is like everybody was feeling great and then Jesus finally had to call out the disciples and there's that like feeling like what's going on? Jesus is like, I'm good. Everybody, come here. I love you. I love you. He wants to, to hug on the kids and show them his affection and his desire to be near and with them. See, the disciples had missed Jesus' call to serve everybody and take the humble place. They had instead decided to play judge and jury. They took it upon themselves to determine who was worthy to be in Jesus' presence and who was a burden and shouldn't be in his presence. By his reaction, it is clear that their assessment was appalling and his anger was justified. Now think about kids in general. Why this connection? Why, the, the, why is Jesus talking about power and position and purpose here? Think about kids. How often does a child look at another child and say, man, I had to work really hard to still be a child this week. I mean, I had to do so many chores to make sure that I was still a descendant of my mom and dad. Kids don't have those conversations. Adults don't have those conversations. Why? You either are your parent's child or you are not. You weren't, and then you were. And you were their child. To be a child of God's is just the same as being a child of your parent. It's not something you work for. It's something that is given. To be a beloved child of God is something that he bestows on us. It is something that he gives freely. Look at Jesus' words again in 14. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. The worthiness of a child is not earned. As they are beloved, image-bearing children of God, let them come to Jesus. Guys, chill out. Let them come to me. The worthiness of one's entrance into the kingdom of God is not achieved, but received. The entrance to God's kingdom is not achieved. It is received. Jesus offers us forgiveness from our sins in him and gives us new life in him, a place as a child of the king. Those who quote unquote get in to God's kingdom You can't charge the gates and say, well, God, I'm here. Here are all the things that I have done. Here are all my positions held. Look, I actually have a printout of how many tithes that I gave to you and contributions outside of the church. These are the number of people I helped. This is the legacy that I left. It won't do. It ain't going to fly. 
when we come into God's presence, the position that he embraces is one of the beloved child. The one who knows that no effort on their part is going to get them in. They know that they are loved because he loves them. I want you to hear that again. A child of the king knows that they are loved because God loves them. They are not loved on their own effort. They are not loved because they did something awesome. They are loved because he loves. Millicent is my youngest daughter, and she is adorable. She is incredibly adorable. And Millie, I'm going to give her just a few more years to out-adorable herself and see if she can beat it. I don't think she can. This past week, we did a little bit of trick-or-treating. Now, Megan and I, our plan was just to have the kids, they dressed up as Anna and Elsa and Olaf. And August had like the whole get up for Olaf and like you couldn't really see, but it was really cute. So our goal actually was only to go next door and do trick-or-treating at Matt Cowley's and then go back. But when the kids saw that being on this train meant lots of free candy, they wanted to stay on the ride as long as possible. And so we said, that's fine. So we actually went over. John and Lauren, the skaters, like live literally around the corner from us. So we went kind of to their area. and We got to meet a ton of their neighbors. It was so much fun. So we get to this house. And uh, this sweet lady holds the bowl, the bowl, the big bowl of candy down. Holds it down for our kids. Okay, August grabs it. Thank you. Emmeline grabs it. Thank you. Millicent looks up. Handful, handful of candy in the bucket, another handful of candy in the bucket. And then at time number three, Yona was like, I, I, I think you're good. We're, we're good. See, I, when Megan was telling me, because I could see it from the car, I actually, during sermon prep this week, I couldn't stop thinking about that. Because Jesus, in this analogy, why? This makes this so wonderful to me. Jesus isn't just the owner with the candy. Jesus is the candy. We haven't really done a thing to earn a place to even be offered the candy. Okay, seriously, an outfit is a very low barrier to entry. So Jesus isn't asking anything from us. He bends down and he offers us the candy. And some of us have heard the lie that you can have too much good. You can have too much God. So we go and we take our one piece of candy. Thank you. And we walk away. Jesus actually is standing there with the bowl of candy. And he wants us to grab the handfuls of candy and sit and smile in his presence. And just keep going back for as much as you can get of him. See, I actually love the difference even between my children because Millicent is younger. She's three and a half. She's almost four. And August and Emmeline are older. And so they know, okay, you shouldn't take too much candy. And so they kind of got already into the mode. Millicent didn't know better. She knew there was candy 
It's free. They want to give me candy. I want to get as much of this free candy as I can possibly get. And so she takes more. And Jesus invites us into his presence and says, drink me in. Take me in. Come into my presence like a child that doesn't know better, that knows that I am satisfying, knows that I am good, and come to me to be satisfied. That is who gets into the kingdom. You aren't earning this. We get to come in Jesus' presence and take him in at his invitation. Trust me. Don't fight for power. Let me give it to you. Don't fight for position. You already have the best position in the house as the beloved child. You can't earn any better. As Jesus reveals who he is, he also reveals what he values. He values that power that was given, not taken. He values the position of a beloved child, not of a person that feels they deserve to be in. In the end, Jesus points to the child and says, your most satisfying purpose in life is to exist in the powerless, beloved state as my child and serve others humbly. How do we make that transition? How do we make that transition from somebody who enjoys the powerless, beloved state and serves? When we humbly serve others, we do so in the power and the position of the child of Jesus. Jesus is there, just like he was in this story, arms open wide, ready to take us in and give us the loving hug that we've been so desperate for. We don't serve others to get more hugs. We don't serve others to get more from Jesus. Instead, he has given us everything, and we serve others to honor him. Because again, if Jesus has already given us all the power, it talks about uh, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and then he issues a command. Now go, make disciples. He is the one with all the authority, and he is giving us his authority. If he, who has all the authority and all the power, gives it to us, what more can we do to get more power? We're already full. We can't take more in. If he, who is the king, has already called us to be his children, and we are heirs to the throne, we are in the royal family, what more can we do to move up the ladder any higher. There is nothing we can do to make him love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make him love us less. He comes to us with this gift and says, I love you, I have given you all the power, I have given you this position, and now I ask that you go and humbly serve, humbly serve all, love all, take the lowest seat, Because you are already mine. Do like I do. 
you know, a few pages later, we see at the Last Supper, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees, gets a towel, gets a bowl, and he takes the servant's position, the lowest low of the servant's position, and he washes the disciples' feet. Do as I do. Imitate me. See, we don't stand there expecting other people to serve us. We aren't the expectant overlords that say, now that I have been given power, now that I am, you know, one of God's kids, all y'all need to serve me. You need to do what I do. You need, you need to do what I ask you to do. And we stand there almost again with the folded arms. Yeah, you're serving me. Sounds about right. I'm awesome. It's not how Jesus rolls and it's not how he asks us to. He says, go for the humble servant. Because your identity is already established. Who you are is in him. So what you do is out of who you are. What we do is act like our servant king. We love and we serve others. So how do we do that? Practical steps. First thing, see that Jesus is going to be the only way to live this out. If If we come like the older child that thinks you can get too much God and you take a single piece of candy, you go to Jesus once, you have your, yes, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for forgiveness. End of transaction. Peace out. We go about our life and we walk away from him. We are going to run out. We are never not in need of Jesus. We need to continue to go to him day in and day out. He is our satisfaction. Let us be easily satisfied in Jesus. And let us be most unsatisfied with what this world is throwing at us. Be satisfied in Jesus. That is step number one. How do we serve others well? Be satisfied in Jesus. The second thing, I know it might sound corny, but you're going to have to go find some people to love and serve that can't pay you back. Now, why is it corny? Because some of the best people to love and serve that can't pay you back are right back there in Kid City. Russell gave the invitation to come and serve at our church, but the reason we say come and serve in the back is not because we've got open spots. Please, somebody come fill them. What it is is this is a huge opportunity, a huge opportunity to love and serve like Jesus. I know some of you, with your very kind, blank stares at me, say, I don't like kids. Kids and I don't get along. Well, if I'm going to read what Jesus said to us, I don't think that excuse is on the table. It's not about you. It's about all of us living into the role of servants and humbly coming and loving and serving people We can't pay us back. We come down because we are on common ground of the powerless. And if you are that person that's like, okay, I might kind of like kids, but I have no idea what we're doing. Good, that's fine. We can train you. We can equip you. Don't feel like uh, you needed to have that when walking in. Like, oh, well, I'm prepared. Oh, I'm unprepared. I'm done forever. No, we can fix that. We can come alongside you. We can do this together. The third thing. Join a loop group. Join a loop group. We have these midweek gatherings. If you grab your little sign-in thing that you have, your big card, at the bottom of it, it's got a connect card. That's perforated. If you are not yet 
in a loop group and you want a place to go and love and serve others, sign up for one. Sign up for one. Put your name down. And then if you are filling it out anew at this point in the service, in the comment section, write for reals and use a Z. That's very important. Because what I want us to see is that joining a loop group, let me, let me take a step back. I, too, fall into the mindset of being served. And I show up sometimes with my friends at loop group, and I think, man, hope loop group's awesome tonight. Wonder what we're talking about. Now, I kind of help lead mine, so I don't have that excuse always. But I don't get to come in there and say, I wonder what Kyle and Danny are going to do for me tonight. What great words are they going to say to me? Because sometimes we show up to those groups and we think about it with whiffums. What's in it for me? I'm going to go to a loop group because it helps me grow. That's why I'm there. What if we turn the tables as Jesus did? And we said, I can't wait to go and serve some other people. I wonder how I can bless John and Lauren tonight. I wonder how I can truly enjoy Zori's presence and just love listening to her great stories. I wonder how I can serve others. And then once we start thinking this collective, I want to love and serve others, what does it look like to think that as a group? To communally think, how can our group serve our neighbors where we meet in this neighborhood? How can our group serve this neighborhood? What does it look like to be the love of Christ as a community to go out and serve together? Get in a loop group. This is where we are going to love and challenge and encourage one another to be the hands and feet of Christ. We have an opportunity to practice weekly that our power is given. It's not taken. We have an opportunity to stand satisfied in our position as his beloved children and not as followers who deserve what Jesus is giving. And we have an opportunity to seek the new purpose in his kingdom of being humble servants and not expectant overlords who look to everybody else as means to ends. Jesus is our satisfaction, and he calls us in his new way, as revealed to us on earth, to be made new and following him. Will you all bow your heads with me? Jesus, you are good. Jesus, you are our great satisfier. There is nothing we are getting outside of you that will bring us any satisfaction that lasts. Jesus, we collectively come to you with our hearts open. Jesus, where are we seeking satisfaction aside from Jesus, where are we still trying to earn our own power?
Where in our life do we feel we deserve the good things that come our way? Where in our lives are we living in this great expectation that everybody else around us are means to an end, that they are people who want to serve us because we deserve to be served? Lord, we confess that the power in this world is alluring, that it seems pretty awesome, and that we get to do a lot of awesome things because of power. Lord, we confess that we believe the lie, and we ask forgiveness from you. Jesus, you do not come to us in a cookie-cutter form that we all say, oh, here's cookie-cutter Jesus. He fits me just in this way, and we're all golden. Each of us have different things we struggle with. Each of us have different things that we need to come to you for repentance of. But Lord, we all need you deeply. Move in us. Jesus. Thank you for being our satisfier. In your name we pray. Amen.